The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Tuesday morning, November 14, 2023. I'm sorry we are a day late with the podcast because I just got back from a mini vacation celebrating my wife's birthday. Love you, baby. So what did I miss? Well, as I was about, about to board my flight, Jason Benetti was already on his way to Detroit. Chris Getz admits he doesn't like the current White Sox squad. Welcome to the club. And the White Sox might not be as transparent about Dylan Cease's trade market, or quite frankly, anyone else is on this current squad with the exception of Luis Robert Jr. Oh, and the offseason plan project budget of $185 million? That might be just a tad high. So let's discuss the bag of concerning news surrounding the Chicago White Sox. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. If the White Sox are going to have this level of breaking news with, example, Jace Benetti's departure, I'm worried what will come in January when I go on my honeymoon. At least it should be like mostly you know, knock on wood should be mostly like normal transactions. Maybe they sign a slew of uh, players who have been on the, on the shelves for a while, like the after holiday rush uh, discounted markdown prices. That's when the white Sox get on it and figure like, Oh, we can buy holiday stuff now, put it in storage and then break it out in November and we'll have saved a lot of money. And then, uh, probably November comes around, they forget they bought it and replenish it and realize like, oh yeah, I can't remember what I actually did. But yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's good for business. So like maybe you should just kind of like hang out in airports. Like just, you have the lounge access, just uh, <laughs> like, uh, was it up in the air? Or just kind of uh, land between, um, uh, you know, between airports, going to the lounge, uh, just kind of nonstop flying in order to get this news coming because it's good for business, even though it's bad for uh, White Sox business. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's why usually we want to be timely with these things. Like you you guys know, for those listening, we have emergency podcasts and Jason Benetti leaving. That would have been Merity emergency podcast for sure uh, to talk about what's going on with the the White Sox broadcast of the future. 
We'll get into that in a moment. And uh, we'll be recapping what happened in Scottsdale, Arizona uh, during the GM meetings. But first, we have, as in we, Sox Machine, have an announcement to make of an upcoming event, especially for our Patreon supporters. And Jim, I will hand it off to you. What is coming in February 2024? Well, it's especially for our Patreon supporters because it's only for the Patreon supporters. It's a uh, the second annual, I, I suppose you could call it, but the first full-fledged Sox Machine curling outing at Windy City Curling in Villa Park. We did a pilot run last year with the members of the Veterans Committee and uh, the guys from the 108 uh, rounded together a couple of... Uh, teams worth of curlers a couple sheets worth of curlers to just uh test it out see whether uh the sport i'm very passionate about on the side would translate to people who have never played it before versus like i'm very interested in this everybody else is bored so rather than like have everybody like come out for a big thing kind of fall flat figure try it out because i'm not the most uh impartial of parties when it comes to how popular a curling event might be. But uh, the feedback we got was positive. Windy City, uh, which I'd never been to before, really great to work with. The people there are awesome and we're happy to work with us again. So we're going to be doing a uh, the second annual or first um, official Socks Machine Curling event at Windy City Curling, uh, and it's exclusively for Patreon supporters. So I put the poll out or like the form out uh Monday, I should say, um, just gauging interest, gauging what the headcount might be to better understand how to structure it, what the pricing might be, and then we'll be selling tickets for it later. So if this interests you and whether you've been curling before or would like to do it at Windy City Curling on February 3rd, uh, 2024, uh, if you sign up for Patreon, there'll be a form right at the top uh, with uh, just uh, a, a couple questions and some uh, a comment box for uh, whether you'd be interested, whether you'd be interested in curling or just watching because that's all also an option is coming up, showing up, laughing with us, not laughing at us. You can't laugh at people if you're not on the ice yourself. And uh, we'll hang out and kind of, uh, I guess, have a stand-in socks fest uh, because it doesn't seem like a socks fest is happening, even though I haven't seen officially that uh, the socks are, you know, uh, yeah have officially canceled it you know i imagine there might be some um season ticket holder events for the dwindling crowd i mean our patreon numbers might uh <laughs> they might rival the white Sox season ticket base at the pace they're going <laughs> uh and and we have a staff of two versus a staff of 50 uh, when it comes to trying to drum up interest so yeah who knows but anyway uh it'll be socks fest and ice basically is what we're saying <laughs> it's a it's a blast if you've never went curling before i participated in april along with our patreon vc members i had so much fun and again patreon only and if you're listening to this and you're like well guys i'm not a patreon supporter and i'd like to participate go to patreon.com slash socks machine and sign up today to help support us monthly yes. plans start as low as two dollars and that's how you can get involved. And then you can join us in February for the Sox Machine Curling event. I, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. And to Jim's point, and for those that are Patreon members, you know that we had our town hall meeting last week. And for Patreon members, that's exclusive content. You could watch the town hall presentation uh, in case you missed it. We're going to try to do more curling. Not curling. Well, yes, we would love to do more curling events. Sure. We're going to try to do more community events. 
during the offseason in the upcoming 2024 season. Uh, as Jim puts it well, we root for White Sox fans. And while our tagline is, we watch the White Sox so you don't have to, our other tagline is, misery loves company and we're good company. And boy, the White Sox could be miserable. Everything surrounding the White Sox could be miserable in 2024. But at least if we could have fun with one another and continue to grow the community and the community itself can satisfy our baseball needs. That is our intention and goal to accomplish in the upcoming year. And the curling event is a great way to do it. So again, if you're not a Patreon member, go to patreon.com slash to sign up. If you are a Patreon member and you are interested in participating in the curling event, definitely fill out the form that Jim has created again on patreon.com slash machine. All right. White Sox news. Jason Benetti leaves the White Sox broadcasting booth. He signs a multi-year contract with the Detroit Tigers. That is key because as a Tigers employee, it doesn't matter what channel the Tigers games are being broadcasted. Jason Benetti is going to be calling Detroit Tigers games for the next few years, even though there is some questions about Bally Sports as the Tigers are currently on Bally Sports right now. We'll see what the television future is, but Jason Benetti's future, at least calling baseball games, is secure with this multi-year contract with the Detroit Tigers. And, oh, and who do the White Sox play on opening day? That's right, the Detroit Tigers. So Jason Benetti will be at Gary T. Ray Field, but in the visiting broadcasting booth, Jim. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a little awkward. And right now, the play-by-play spot is wide open for the White Sox, and I get that this is old news and this has been kind of talked about. And I see there it's been a wide variety of comments, especially on SoxMachine.com and social media. There are those that are very heartbroken about the news and maybe now won't even watch the White Sox on TV after saying they don't want to spend any money and support Jerry Reinsdorf and going to home White Sox games. There are other White Sox fans, maybe not the biggest fans. I shouldn't say maybe not the biggest fans of Jason Benetti. And they're glad that he has moved on. Whatever side that you're on on the spectrum, this is surprising news because out of all the possibilities of replacing Hawk Harrelson, to find someone in their mid-30s who went to Homewood Flossmoor High School, who grew up as a Chicago White Sox fan, who you could watch on ESPN and now Fox on the national stage, is the guy that's available and willing to take the torch from someone that is well-known who won the uh, broadcasting award for the Hall of Fame. It's escaping my... The Frick Award. The Frick Award, yes. To replace... Yeah, the uh, Ford, uh, Ford C. Frick Award. To replace a Hall of Famer. And you lose him to the Detroit Tigers. Man, Jim, that that's what's shocking. At the end of it, mm-hmm. days later... It's still shocking that this happened. Yeah, the word I keep coming back to is small. Like, it's just so small. It's small markets. The White Sox losing a broadcaster who is, uh, at this point, I think you can call him nationally renowned uh, with his work on, yes. uh, you know, for Fox, uh, especially college football, but basketball as well. Like, he's uh, all over the place and profile growing bigger by the year and to lose him to Detroit and no offense to Detroit. I mean, it's a lateral move in terms of like baseball market size. It's a step 
down, I would say, like being in Chicago versus being in Detroit, like being uh, White Sox and sometimes Bulls is bigger than being Tigers and sometimes Pistons, just in terms of like the, the, the brand recognition that the Bulls have. So like that's a, a blow in terms of like just the White Sox reputation. And then you just have like Brooks Boyer trying to spin it, saying like, you know, he has to advance his career. And like, when you look at the terms, like it's a multi-year deal and it seemed like the White Sox weren't interested in a multi-year deal and they have their own broadcast future up in the air after the season, the NBC Sports Chicago deal expires. And so like, even if like Benetti is an employee of the White Sox, like they might have a different budget for what they want to allocate for uh, broadcast going forward and when they understand like where exactly their games are going to be. So maybe that's part of why they didn't want to uh, hammer out a new deal for such an uncertain economic future. Uh, but you have that. And then you have like the, just the talk last year about like how, you know, he was, he missed too much time and he, you know, he needs to be a white Sox first or he needs, they need to know he's going to be there. And then like he goes to the tigers and he's missing the same amount of games. Like with the white Sox, John Greenberg story phrases is 35 games max. Uh, the Tigers phrased it as 127 games at least. So you do the math, 165, 162 minus 35 is 127. So the same exact terms, like he's not going anywhere to advance. He's going to Detroit to hold his ground, whether it's like just having the security he wants and the flexibility to be able to call all the games he wants and the assignments he wants in the networks and streaming services that he wants to be a part of. So like the Tigers are showing that they're appreciating more than the White Sox. I mean, that's just what it comes down to is not it's not advancement. It's appreciation. So like, uh, you know, there are some people who don't appreciate Benetti on the same level. And you know, it's it's a matter of taste. Like I can understand that, you know, some people might not have liked his jokiness or whether he was, you know, more standard slash generic compared to Hawk Harrelson, which, you know, of course, obviously. And, you know, my only counterpoint to that is just like you're not going back to Hawk like it's going to be. Syracuse or college trained broadcasters from here on yeah. out. And it's just a matter of finding the right guy with the right tone or right, you know, right person, I should say, uh, with the right tone who fits the team at the time and can balance politics with delivering accurate information that, you know, hits fans' ears the correct way. Uh, it's not going to be easy. And so that's why it takes college trained broadcasters a lot of experience uh, to balance that, you know, all the interests, the corporate interests, the sponsor interests, and also the uh, fan interests. So, you know, it's not going to get any crazier or off the cuff from here. There isn't going to be another Hawk. It's going to be uh, probably broadcasters from here on out. So like Benetti basically broke the seal on that after the White Sox avoided it for, you know, decades with Hawk there and Ed Farmer on the play-by-play calls for the radio and probably going to be standard for him from here on out. So I think the complaints for Benetti, at least some of them are going to be replicated for every single broadcaster who comes down the line from here on out. I don't see the gain here, you know, aside from like the White Sox not liking him or being irked uh, because his profile was too big or he looked, you know, his eye, you know, he just eyed too many jobs outside of the White Sox and, because the White Sox are very sensitive as an organization and oddly egotistical for how little they've accomplished, it seems. Like, it, they just, it, it wasn't something they wanted to abide. So that's, I think, the issue. I mean, I guess the good news is, one, you know, Benetti gets 
appreciated because like he's too young to get like hemmed in by his hometown pressures and you know the dream job that was his dream job as a kid like you know if you're in your 30s or in your early 40s and you still have like 15 20 25 30 years of broadcasting ahead of you maybe even longer like you can't like you can't sell out or you know sell yourself out or sell yourself short or cut off avenues to doing assignments you really want to do because like you feel pressured to uh, stick with the job he thought you wanted forever. Uh, it's better, you know, in his position, taking jobs that feel like you're being compensated fairly, whether it's compensated in terms of money or perks or just security, whatever he wants. And so like he had leverage, the White Sox don't have many employees who have leverage or would drum, you know, could drum up interest from outside organizations. Like the people who are with the White Sox tend to be there forever. When you look at it that way, just like the White Sox, you know, it, to my my sense of it is like the White Sox just part of the reason they're mediocre is because they don't inspire excellence from any position they've hired. Like they don't like nobody has interest in their employees. They don't have to work to retain anybody they've hired. And so like you just get this like, well, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf's loyal because nobody wants to leave him. Like it's not Jerry Reinsdorf's loyal because he rolls out the red carpet uh, for his best employees and makes sure that every need of theirs is taken care of. Like he does them, you know, like he pays their pensions and such, like he does some decent things. But otherwise, it's just like he doesn't let people go. Like he didn't let Kenny Williams for the uh, Blue Jays job. If you believe sources, that might be Rick Hahn or Rick Hahn sources. Like Jerry Reinsdorf didn't let him resign. He didn't let Robin Ventura resign. Like just he ha he likes to get his grips on people, not let them go. Uh, so like when, you know, Benetti has leverage and he has an agent and he has all these people who might want to hire him, I can see him being annoyed by that and good for Benetti for not like feeling like guilt tripped or hemmed in uh, by the White Sox, like feeling like they need to put their stamp on him. So yeah, if this is how it was going to be, because it was awkward last year with the negotiations and how long it took to confirm that Benetti was returning, like, yeah, good for him. Like, get out. Like, yeah, go go check out other markets. He can always return. Like, the White Sox get new ownership, like Pat Foley. Right. Like, you know, Pat Foley's a good example of just being pushed out by ownership and, like, coming back when uh, things change up top. Like, you know, he can come back. Like, I imagine, like, there is a possibility of him you know, the, the job being uh, attractive to him again. So wouldn't rule it out. So yeah, good for him uh, getting what he deserves and getting compensated fairly. And for the rest of us, like whether it's like Mike Monaco, who is like, a, even if it's not Mike Monaco, like he's a good representation of like the next young college trained broadcaster. Like at least Benetti set a good booth and a good example for like what Steve Stone should be doing. Like Benetti did a good job of being, a forward-thinking broadcaster. Now, hopefully, the person who comes next can help, uh, you know, pick up the ball and run with it. First of all, I'm a college-trained broadcaster, and I'm taking a little offense to it. No, I'm kidding, Jim. Uh, with the angle that you're going with. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. So you, you mentioned, I don't know where the direction from the White Sox perspective is going with letting Jay Spadetti go and having him talk to Detroit and then ultimately losing him to Detroit. Here's my feeling, and we talked about this on and off the record. This is the last year of NBC Sports Chicago, period. I cannot see Comcast wanting to continue the RSN model. What company in North America wants to continue the RSN model? All we continue to watch, hear, 
and read is the RSN model is dead. Hell, Bob Iger, the Disney CEO, is ready to take ESPN, Jim, direct to consumer. Think about that. Direct to consumer, the most popular cable channel ever. ESPN is the reason why people have cable. If you yank ESPN off every cable provider and make it direct to consumer, that radically breaks the system. Like the whole, everyone's complaining mm-hmm. about streaming. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going back to bundling cable again. Like I just, while well subscribe to cable until Bob Iger says in 2025, we're ready to go. ESPN's ready to go direct to consumer. You come directly to Disney. That's it. No more ruthless conversations or negotiations with cable providers. We're yanking it money direct to us, period. So how we consume sports on television is going to radically change folks in the next couple of years. And it is coming. And for the White Sox, this reckoning is also coming. And I do believe they're going to pivot. They're going to move over to stadium. Why buy out so many of the shares for Jerry Reinsdorf's point of view? So I think 2024 anyways was going to be the final year of Jason Benetti and Steve Stone. And the White Sox were going to be moving on to a new team. So to your question, what did, why would the White Sox do this? Well, now they get a year test run with the new play-by-play guy. The problem with Mike Monaco is he just signed a three-year contract with ESPN. So he's going to have to miss games. And he calls ACC baseball games and he calls basketball games as well. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of issues at the beginning of the season. You're going to see some issues towards the end of the season when college football gets started in August and September, and he's going to have to miss some weekends. He's going to have to miss some Friday and Saturday games, and you're right back to square one with the issue that you had with Jason Panetti. There is Connor McKnight. Connor McKnight would step in, fill in when Len Casper had to do TV duties because Jason was out. Connor would do radio or what we saw towards the end of the season, you would have Jason Benetti and Connor McKnight call games together. I think you can give Connor McKnight a shot for a year and see where you're going to go. But Steve Stone's contract supposedly last reported when they entered in the club option uh, is going to expire after 2024. Mm-hmm. And then who knows? You're going to have to get a new broadcasting team anyways, but you're going to go to a new broadcast model anyways to stadium. So, all right, Jason, you got to you got to call with Detroit. How about you go interview? And if it is a serious offer and you're willing to take it, go ahead because we're going to pivot anyways. We this is going to be the last season of this agreement and if you leave, okay, oh well, let me go find someone to give them a year test run if they're good, then we'll keep them. If they're not, then we'll go back to square one and interview more people next season. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think my question would be or concern would be like Detroit's dealing with the exact same thing. Like this is not unique to the White Sox having like a huge uh, decision to make where their games are going to be next because Detroit's a belly sports product. They have their own, every belly sports market is wrestling with the same thing. So they made the commitment to Benetti. The White Sox didn't. Maybe the White Sox come out okay like the like the Cubs did with Boog Skiambi going from, uh, uh, you know, Glenn Casper, everybody devastated by that news. And then they got another broadcaster of renown that uh, did the job well enough, even if some people might like Glenn Casper more. I think what the White Sox maybe won't understand or what might take the next person a while to, you know, 
get themselves is like Benetti seemed really good at connecting with fans. Like he really seemed to make that a point. Like part of it was the pandemic being in the middle of it and, you know, no fans in the games and such and being, uh, you know, taking his responsibility very seriously about like how he was, you know, uh, in, in the time of like, uh, forced uh, isolation, separation. Like he realized he was a voice for a lot of people that uh, it was there for them every day. And so like he took that seriously, but also just, you know, with his uh, you know, various causes that he supports and, you know, his background with uh, cerebral palsy and just, you know, being, uh, you know, an advocate and trying to be a role model for uh, people who might not see a whole lot of representation in the media for people with, uh, you know, disabilities or, you know, early obstacles like, He's yeah, I think the empathy that he showed for various causes and such is off the charts. And I think a lot of White Sox fans really appreciated that from him. And, you know, any kind of emceeing he could do for any organization inside or outside baseball, it seemed like he would do it if his schedule allowed. So he gave a lot of himself. And I think that's going to be what the White Sox might not appreciate or what the next person has to understand why, like, yeah, I sound like Benetti, or at least I, I, you know, I have the same background. I have a lot of experience. Like we're both calling games. Steve Stone is offering a lot. Like, why am I not hitting the same way? And I think that's probably the shoes they have to fill. Like the last 15% I talked about, because I wrote about like, you know, a Mike Monaco type or whoever can probably get 85% of the way there based on just their experience and their training and everything like that. But the, the last 15%, I think, is what Benetti offered from his life experience, his Chicago experience, his experience growing up as a 1990s White Sox fan that directly related to so many people watching. Like, that's what's going to be difficult to replicate. And I don't envy... Uh, the next person who comes in, even if they are getting what they think is their dream job, because it was Benetti's dream job as well. And uh, it's it's going to be uh, like, say, if it's a case where like just the next person does not hit right and the White Sox, you know, show them loyalty that did not show Benetti. I think it's going to you know raise more questions than answers. Yeah, and the, the question would be. Is this guy cheaper? <laughs> yeah, like my fear is like Steve Fizioc or something like that, like some Royals reject of just you know a veteran broadcaster who just uh, completely interchangeable, bounced from market to market, never really made a mark. Uh, you know, in 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 Fizioc's case, just like working with Rex Hudler, I think just overexposure to Rex Hudler, I think yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he lost some brain cells along the way, but like it's a case of just uh, you know. If they bring in somebody like him to replace Benetti, I think that's when you, when you see like the, well, I don't think you could call it like torches and pitchforks because that would take more caring than White Sox fans, I think, will summon. I think you'll just see like sheer apathy set in. Like you're already seeing it with the TV ratings, with the uh, attendance dropping, with season tickets probably, you know, cratering. Um, I think you'll just see it more and more. It's just nobody caring, nobody tuning in people looking elsewhere for summer entertainment. So when I was on the flight to Florida, I watched the Netflix documentary about Mike Vec and the Vec family, Saint of mm-hmm. Second Chances. And it was like, it was so good for the baseball soul to watch that. And we'll dedicate a podcast episode to that. I, I will get that organized because as White Sox fans, everyone should watch this documentary especially for those that grew up in the 1970s uh, that remember his dad, Bill, owning the White Sox. You will cherish this documentary. You will 
you will laugh, you will you will appreciate what this documentary accomplishes about the art of hustling and making baseball games fun for fans. When it comes to Brooks Boyer, there's been a lot of, let's call it, feedback to Brooks. And I did tweet out, when are the White Sox going to overhaul their marketing staff, much like they did with baseball operations? And the story that I will share is that many moons ago, I went to like a marketing conference in Chicago. And the chief marketing officer for Progressive Insurance, the guy who came up with Flo, right? And we have seen the actor Flo, and now it's like a whole thing. There's many people who play different characters. It's TV commercials, Jim. But that's how he spun it's it. It's the Flo-niverse. Yeah, it's, a, it's the Flo universe. Everyone's got a universe now. And how he came up with it and how much he hated it because it just tied his hands to his character. Like, I want to be creative, but I can't go back now because she's a huge hit and we got to stick with it. And they continue to stick with it a decade later. But the point he made is that no matter what you do as a marketer, you have to fire yourself every 18 months. And the question you have to ask, if you're in a position of marketing a brand or company or whatever, Am I doing a good job? Am I reaching out and getting new customers? Am I making the existing customers happier that they are a customer of whatever brand that I'm doing? Because in 18 months, if the numbers don't show it, then you got to fire yourself and you got to go land another marketing gig because something's just not right. And when it comes to the Chicago White Sox, everything is stale. Everything is stale, much like their pretzel buns in the stadium with their sausages. They need a brand refresh. They need new messaging. With the team in transition, it gives you that opportunity. You don't have Tim Anderson anymore. You don't have Liam Hendricks. Hell, you don't have Jason Benetti. So you hopefully you have something, but you don't have SoxFest. So you don't have this large event that could generate fake enthusiasm for the upcoming season. I don't know how you're going to promote spring training and try to convince White Sox fans to come down to Arizona other than, hey, it's warm and Chicago is cold. I no idea how you're going to generate enthusiasm because on opening day for Major League Baseball, you're at home. I don't know how he's going to do that. And this really does land on Brooks Boyer's shoulders. And he's been in this job and this role since 2004, coming over the Chicago Bulls. And I see him at food day. I'm sure we're going to have this conversation in March during food days. Like I heard what you said about me, Josh. He's a big fan from the 108 guys, especially my sock summer. And all I would tell him is what new ideas you got, man. Because in 2017, I thought he had a home run when that team was rebuilding the craft cave. That was huge. That was huge. And the focus on improving ballpark food and making that transition. Those were home runs. Goose Island was a home run. And I thought they did the best job they could during COVID and going to 2021 when the team was exciting. But man, the last couple of years has been bad for White Sox marketing. You're not attracting new customers and your existing customers are really upset with you. 
So Brooke Spoyer is someone who's in that chief marketing officer role was talking to the guy from progressive insurance and asking himself, why should I get continue to keep my job? I don't think anyone has a good reason in white Sox marketing to keep their job. And honestly, I think they could use a whole new crew. Maybe you hire an outside company, which the white Sox stopped doing years ago. They, they hold everything internally when it comes to advertising and marketing as far as the ball club. Yeah, they, they need a lot of help. So this Jason Benetti leaving, I think eventually was going to leave. But now that you don't have a TV broadcaster, now you're not having Sox Fest. Season tickets are going down. Attendance is going down. TV reigns are going down, Jim. Like, this is a perfect storm nightmare for any marketer. And for those that are listening, maybe you're in marketing. And you know, you know that this is bad for the Chicago White Sox. And you may also counterpoint, Josh, well, how would you market this team? That's a great question. I, I don't know how to answer that question right now, Jim. I don't know how you market this team. Uh, you just sit on your hands and wait, and that's why you don't have any off-season events to generate enthusiasm because you don't know what to generate enthusiasm for. Ah, life as a Chicago White Sox organization, that's where they're at right now. So, yeah, it's a lot of chatter about Jason Benetti leaving. But Benetti leaving, I think, eventually was going to come. But ultimately, I mean, just as far as like paying customers and generating interest, which obviously we rely on as well at Sox Machine, the White Sox need a lot of help. They need a lot of help, Jim. And I think with this departure of Jason Benetti, just kind of, it's one more punch in the gut of, man, we... We could use we could use some help. We could use a marketing refresh. Yeah, I think Lawrence Holmes, I want to say, was the one who said like the White Sox or not for the White Sox, but the play by play person is like the front door of your team. Yes, uh, they are the voice, your da- your daily connection to the team. You hear them every day, all summer. Uh, they keep you apprised on what's going around the league. Yeah, they're your primary source of information and connection to the team. So, to be without that. Uh, to be under construction with the broadcast booth while everything else is in flames. Uh, there's just nowhere. There's nothing comfortable right now for the White Sox. There's nothing they know aside from like the logo. And, you know, we've talked about this before, like just you know, marketing is tough, but marketing is also easy because like the logo set, the logo is a hit. Yeah. It's recognized outside of baseball. Like you don't have to do a thing to how you look. And like, that's a huge elements like some teams wrestle with their uniforms and hats every year and and you know try to add tweaks or you know change it up and trying to find that like winning combination that'll stick with them for at least like five to ten years like the white Sox have been going on for uh what uh 30 years now and still yeah. like not uh you know no reason to try tweaking it at this point like you know have alternates and whatever but like it's not fading in popularity at all among uh, just kind of like the, the, the streetwear stores. Yeah, because like yeah, I tell people, if you go to Europe or you go to Asia, it's like you see Yankees caps, you see Dodgers caps, you see White Sox caps. And that's it. Like those are the big three. And like, so the White Sox don't have to do a thing with how they look. It's just a matter of like how, you know, what they are and how they present themselves. And like, those are significant things, but like, 
it's only two items versus three. Uh, and some teams have to deal with all three. So whoever's marketing the team gets a head start and they're just kind of pissing it away. Yep. Even at Disney World. Try to strike up a conversation with a guy wearing a white Sox cap. Not a Sox fan, just likes the cap. Hey, it sells. The logo and the look mm-hmm. definitely sells. Yeah, I've, so. I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> For those that are in White Sox marketing that are not named Brooks Boyer, if you want to share additional details with us, we are all ears at Sox Machine. Hell, all White Sox fans are all ears. And what exactly the organization is going to do to generate enthusiasm but again the white Sox will have a new tv broadcaster we'll let you guys know when it will be but expect some type of transition how we consume the white Sox, at least from a television perspective in the very very new future jim and i are going to take a quick break when we come back we'll talk about the gm meetings and how everyone got the norovirus uh luis robert not available to trade but everybody else is what is a realistic payroll number for the chicago white Sox? and tim anderson to anaheim coming up next on the Sox machine podcast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, the general manager meeting served a great reminder. If you are going to the bathroom or handling kids, make sure to wash your hands. Because according to multiple reporters attending the general manager meetings in Scottsdale, Arizona, every team in Major League Baseball in their front office is dealing with someone that is suffering from the neurovirus. (laughs) And again, just... Just wash your hands. If you're going to the bathroom, just wash your hands. Like, this is a nightmare scenario. And Jim, I know I'm going to be coming down to Nashville Mm -hmm. to you for the winter meetings. When I was in San Diego for the winter meetings, December of 2019, keep that in mind, the cold was rampant. I had that horrible head cold. You could tell by just listening to the podcast I was doing. Jim Callis had a terrible cold. Like, the cold spread wild at the hotel. Uh, watch everybody had COVID and we didn't even know about it until a couple months later when COVID was a thing in the United States. Yeah. So that's my fear at like the winter meetings is that we both get really sick because <laughs> something gets spread. But anyways, before everyone got sick and they canceled the GM meetings early, uh, there was some news. Obviously the big news was Chris Getz and his infamous saying that he doesn't like this team. I'm sure that will stick around for 
quite some, quite some time. He continues to take a deep dive, as you wrote about on SoxMachine.com, mm-hmm. Jim. That seems to be his early catchphrase. Diving deeper into the Earth's core until we figure out what's <laughs> causing problems for the White Sox. But when it comes to the trade market, everyone is available, it sounds like, with the exception of Luis Robert Jr., now, we already had the discussion about Dylan Cease's trade market, and we don't think Dylan Cease is going to get traded this offseason. I still believe he's going to be the opening day starter. He may not be all that available until the trade deadline. However, Jim, I'm seeing what's coming out of Cincinnati, and they're entertaining the idea of dangling Jonathan India out, and they might DFA Nick Senzel, they have a lot of young talent, but they need a frontline starter, but they don't know if they're going to be willing to spend the cash to get one of the frontline starters. And the gears are just turning in my head. Like, when we had the discussion a couple of podcasts ago, I was 95% sure that Dylan Cease is going to be the opening day starter for the White Sox. I'm down to 70% now. Only because... When Chris Getz is speaking about the short-term outlook for the White Sox, I don't think he's selling mm-hmm. a contending team. Like, has he said anything to suggest that they're going to be contending other than the American League Central is going to be weak? Which, to his point, the Minnesota Twins, poor Twins fans, uh, hey, we won a playoff series, and your reward is we're going to cut payroll. Uh <laughs> American Attendance is up, ratings are up, yeah, and we're gonna, cutting payroll. We're going to cut $15, 20000000 million off the payroll. What an F you to the fans. Uh, so to Chris gets his point, anyone in the American League Central technically can be contending because this division is disarray. But I don't really think he's selling that. I think he's trying to sell a vision of right now what we're focusing on is building mid to long term success for the White Sox, which we all heard mm-hmm. that again. So now I, I, I'm wondering if Dylan Cease can be had or other pieces of the Chicago White Sox can be had, again, with the exception of Luis Robert Jr. Are you buying that? Are, are you buying that maybe the White Sox will be more active on the trade front than expected? It could be. I mean, like, I, I think when it comes to what the White Sox have and the reason why you haven't heard Chris Getz, like, determine a direction or – why you've seen him kind of walk back or slink away from Jerry Reinsdorf being very aggressive early and saying like, we don't have a year to waste. You know, we want to, you know, we're embarrassed. We want to get right back in this. And it's like, yeah. And then as you know, then August and September roll around, well, I'm still taking a deep dive. And then November rolls around. Oh, I got to take a deep dive. Like that's, I think it's what he uses when he buys time, when he doesn't know what to say. It's kind of like buffering, just uh, the wheels spinning. There's no development happening. Just buffering, buffering, diving deep, diving deep. That's kind of how I read it. Like, doesn't really mean anything just there's nothing to talk about so it's it's way to look busy or sound busy without actually doing anything um but i saw a similar thing like you mentioned the reds i saw like Derek gold of the st louis post dispatch talking about the cardinals and how they might be a fit because they have to get innings and cease delivers innings and starts and they have a whole lot of young talent that hasn't quite clicked you know they have um you know 
Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson and Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman, like a whole bunch of pieces who might be better than they've shown and have some athleticism and hit lefty, but aren't quite doing it for them. And they've had some guys uh, like Randy Rosarena who uh, left the, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. Adonis um, Garcia. Yeah. yeah, That's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, the other postseason hero, uh, yeah, Adelise Garcia, like also just not clicking with the Cardinals, but finding success elsewhere. Like they have a whole lot of guys, more bats than spots or more guys than spots, but not sure which guys are going to be right for him. Like, uh, and they might have some option situations coming up like Mason Wynn, uh, trying to, you know, earn his spot in the Cardinals infield, but not having a great first crack at it. Like they have a whole lot of guys who might fill spots the White Sox could use. And, you know, another case of just, having a interesting array of young talent plus uh, prospects plus like guys who just might be had cheaply and might be able to throw in a deal that a year ago you might not have been able to get. And there's a reason why, but also the Cardinals have been swinging and missing more often than usual when it comes to developing talent. So they might be a case of like their approach getting stale and needing a huge refresh. And uh, you know, maybe the, a team can take advantage of that. So, I can see a situation where like Cease is, you know, they're, they've been more open to dealing Cease all along than they've let on, uh, going back to Rick Hahn uh, and, and Kenny Williams when they're in charge and saying like, well, what's the point? You know, uh, Cease won't be around for the next good White Sox team, whereas Robert might be. And Robert, you can hold on to for another full year, show that he's capable of playing a full season. Maybe his trade value gets even higher. Maybe some teams are still skeptical. Like he has a walk and he gets hurt still uh, a little more frequently than we care for, for our tastes. So we're going to, you know, not be super in or, you know, selling the farm for Luis Roberts. Uh, but that that's why I think, you know, it doesn't make sense to trade him yet. But yeah, sure. Dylan Cease, like, I can see it, but it, I think it has to be part of a super active offseason. Like, you can't just be like, you trade Dylan Cease and did very little else, and now you're just looking at, like, a crap product and you know, maybe crap broadcasters who are trying to sell it, depending on who they get. Like, it has to be part of, like, a, I don't know how many moves, like a dozen moves that make you feel like, I don't know me watching this year. That, you know, it, it could be a 70-win team, it could be a 60-win team, but, like, there's enough change that, like, I'm distracted by the amount of new names and faces that I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to be spending all spring, like learning who's which player is what number. And it's just enough to like show things have changed. But I think if they do trade Dylan Cease, it has to be part of a big thing where Dylan Cease is just like one guy who moved and one guy who was replaced versus a minimal thing where like, yeah, we trade him because the price is right. Also, here's a bunch of quadruple A guys to take over. Good luck. See you in 2025. Yeah. I don't know how viable it is as far as like what Eloy Jimenez's trade market is going to be. I wonder if it's going to be similar to what Jake Berger, maybe you get somebody, a double A starting pitcher again. And is that worth it to shed $13.8 million and open up another spot in your lineup? Uh, maybe to bring another veteran DH to take over for Eloy and start preparing for 2025. Like I, I'm curious and. How Chris Gatson, let's bring in Josh Barfield in this conversation, what they mean and like trying to build for the, the mid to long term of this organization. I thought it meant really focusing in on who they're going to be going after the Major League Baseball draft because they're going to have a high draft pick. 
who they could possibly be targeting on the international front. But maybe they have to give another boost to the farm system with trades. But that just the the look of that is you're rebuilding, right? You're rebuilding if you're trading more of the starters away. And mm-hmm. that's not what Jerry said when he hired you. That's why he didn't need to go through a full interview process. And maybe as you continue to take this deep dive into Earth's core uh, to figure out what's going on and what's, you know, the problems with the Chicago White Sox organization. Not that I would disagree going in that direction because clearly the core is not working out. But when it comes to the payroll, this is important because Bob Nightingale of USA Today made an offhand comment that the White Sox are looking to cut payroll in his Sunday notes column. And when it comes to White Sox information, I'm just going to have to assume Bob's got the the right information here. We did the offseason plan project at 185 million. Maybe that number is actually closer to like 160 million for the White Sox. When I fill out a 26 man roster with the players that are existing on the 40 man roster for the Chicago White Sox, and they're 40 man's like at 35, 36 guys. So a lot of league minimum salaries. But if you fill out the 26 man roster with the existing 40 man, I got the White Sox right now when you include the buyout at dead money, Jim, at $117.2 million. So let's say it is $160 million. You got $43 million to work with. However, you got to find a catcher. You got to find a shortstop, a second base, right field, three starting pitchers. For $43 million, not a chance. Not a chance. So this goes back to with Dylan Cease. In some type of package, can in that return, do you get someone that can plug one of those spots? Jonathan India plus Reds prospects. Does that possibly get a deal done? And India is your starting second baseman. And you sign someone like Paul DeYoung to be your starting shortstop. Boom, you have your middle infield at least to start the season until Colson Montgomery's ready to go. All right, Brian Bannister, bring me your list. Who do you like on the starting pitching front? And see how close you get. Can you fill out the rest of the roster in $40 million? Not a very fun offseason plan project to work with, with that little amount of money. Mm-hmm. But now I'm wondering, is this going to be the robbing Peter to pay Paul type of offseason? And more, that's the type of shuffling is going to be. It's going to feel like Kenny Williams in the early days, Jim. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> and those no, types it- of trades. Well, I mean, like the off-season plan project was interesting because, like, I set the payroll at 185 million partially to put, you know, like taking Jerry Reinsdorf at his word, which of course he shouldn't do, but just <laughs> you know, he spoke on the record, talked about like, sure, may as well put that to use. But also because, like, even at 185 million, it's tough to build a team to take all that seriously. Yes. So, like, a lot of people who are filling out the project decided to take a step back anyway and say like, I'm going to try to reset the payroll best I can trade Dylan Cease for what I can trade even Luis Robert for what you can like, just really just scrub this era of white Sox uh, baseball, you know, the remnants of it, try to try to clean the stains out and, and start anew. And like, it's a very real logical path to follow So I don't begrudge Chris Getz for taking that path. I think it's just more a matter of like, you can begrudge Chris Getz being the one to do it because he was hired without an interview process. And 
you know, I think White Sox fans are stuck because like, you don't want to be mad all the time. Like no baseball fan wants me, maybe a few want to be pissed, but like largely speaking, like people want to treat baseball as a pleasant diversion and give the front office benefit of the doubt and have optimism like that. There might be a surprise this year. And even if it doesn't result in like a, a postseason run, it's just like, I, I, I was entertained this summer. Like I always think of like the 2019 White Sox as being like perfectly entertaining uh, for low expectations. Just, you know, the effort they was were there. Fun, bad. Yeah. They're fun, bad. And they, they, they tried their best. They were just shorthanded. But at the end of the year, you could see like signs of things clicking. Uh, and, you know, that's, I think, kind of what fans want at a bare minimum is like, even if they know the team's not going to be good, like effort, competence, upside that they can buy into for the following year. So like Chris gets, you know, inheriting a lot of baggage uh, because he had his own baggage from his previous job. Like, uh Fans don't want to have to hold it against them, but also fans have to look out for themselves in terms of like, is this a good way to spend my summer? Is this, uh, you know, do I feel stupid if I'm optimistic about Chris Getz or try to be? And then he was part of the failing White Sox venture all along for that reason. Uh, you know, just it's, there's an element of self-preservation involved of just not getting burned or not having your time wasted because time's a resource. And I'm like, I get it. So like that's, that's kind of what I'm wrestling with in terms of covering this team is just uh, being open-minded about Chris Getz being different and like the Brian Bannister difference. Like that's, I'll point to that as far as like, that's a new guy who you go to, to try to solve pitching holes. So like, it's not Rick Hahn trying to jump the market on a one-year deal. It's Chris Getz running pitchers past Brian Bannister and hopefully making a wise selection. So there's a case of having benefit of the doubt offensively, not really seeing that, not really seeing a, a, a case of why to trust hitters they bring in. So it, it's unfortunate the way Jerry Reinsdorf runs things, but uh, you know, there is a case of for like steps back being valuable or being like correctly chosen, carefully thought out, like a curated selection of contracts on the books. Uh, but Chris Getz will have to prove it because like he doesn't have as much benefit of the doubt as you'd give a new guy because he's not a new guy. And then there is non-White Sox news, but old friend Tim Anderson and his free agent market. Early rumor is that the Los Angeles Angels are seriously interested in Tim Anderson and moving him over to second base. And... I think this is a great idea, especially after the hiring of Ron Washington as the new manager of Los Angeles Angels. If you recall the conversations that we had even before Tony La Russa was hired, when the White Sox were moving on from Rick Renteria and we were sharing names and Joe Espada, who officially became the Houston Astros manager, Eventually, I think everybody knew that was going to happen, even though I would have loved him to manage the Chicago White Sox. My plan B for the White Sox was Ron Washington, as Washington did a phenomenal job coaching up Marcus Simeon. And look and look what has happened to Marcus Simeon and the type of player that he's become. Uh, he won't win American League MVP this year, but he's in the top three, and he's earning a lot of money thanks to working with Ron Washington out of all the coaches in Major League Baseball, if there's anyone that I am confident can help Tim Anderson turn around, it's Ron Washington. 
So I think this is a good pairing. And with Wash taking the job in Anaheim, if I were advising Tim Anderson, mm-hmm. I would take a one-year deal with the Angels, take the coaching seriously from Wash, and watch him have the type of bounce-back season that everyone's going to point to. Be like, how come the White Sox didn't keep him? See, the White Sox should have kept him. And my counter to that will be, all right, I'm going to get ahead of this. Even if the White Sox kept him, I'm not confident Tim Mm -hmm. Anderson would have bounced back with the White Sox just because they don't have the coaching infrastructure in place to get through to Tim Anderson because they don't have Ron Washington. If Anderson signs with the Angels and he bounces back, maybe becomes an all-star second baseman, thanks to the coaching of Ron Washington, that's on Tim Anderson and Ron Washington working together. And maybe that's on Jerry Reinsdorf getting in the way of the hiring process. And perhaps that's who the White Sox should have hired after they fired Rick Renteria. But alas, I digress. I think this is a good idea for Tim Anderson to go to Anaheim. What do you think about this particular rumor, Jim? It brings to mind the you know, Marcus Semyon going to Oakland and like being a shortstop that he wouldn't have been with the White Sox because he got a lot of hands-on coaching from one Ron Washington when Washington was a coach in Oakland system. And I think my question in terms of like whether the same thing can happen to Anderson is now that Washington is a manager versus a coach. Does he have the uh, time to devote you know that kind of hands-on instruction to one player? Or is his attention, you know, does it have to be directed more towards the 26-man roster? Even like, you know, beyond the 26-man roster, when spring training comes around for figuring out like who the first three or four players up might be based on what he's watching. So that's, I think, one thing that might be different. But yeah, Washington certainly has a lot of experience in that regard, has a lot of experience with like off-field issues, uh, which, you know, and, and one thing I did not recall from... Uh, the hiring till I saw it in Craig Calcaterra's newsletter was that, you know, I had assumed or just kind of like my memory told me that Washington had to step down abruptly from the Rangers because of drug problems. Cause he did have the cocaine, uh, positive test that, uh, in, in 2009, but turns out like he resigned suddenly because of, you know, and, it's speculation or at least it was like allegations that just kind of lingered there and he just, he walked away from the job. And so it wasn't really followed up upon, but they were sexual assault allegations. Uh, so like the fact that you know, Washington is back with Anaheim, I'm curious whether that's going to come back up and whether it's gonna be like, Hey, what actually happened with, uh, you know, you know, why did you leave the Texas job? Cause I mean, like he's done wonders to maximize his, you know, visibility like he's he has a lot of goodwill in the game has a lot of uh he has a great reputation a lot he's influenced been a positive influence for a lot of players careers uh so he's done you know wonders in that regard but you know i i forgot myself that uh that actually was a reason why uh at least the speculation was and the rangers did not shoot it down i was looking at the quote he said while we don't want to touch on any of the specifics john daniels told usa today ron has given us permission to say that this is not drug related so like yeah, for better or for worse, like Washington can relate to off-field stuff. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, you know, and and yeah, you know, Washington had marital problems too. That's what he uh, alluded to when he stepped down, like just having family issues. So like, has a lot of life experience to share. You know, hopefully it's a case of just you know uh, that the allegations aren't completely correct and just you know more run-of-the-mill stuff. But yeah, it. I was a fan of the idea of the White Sox hiring Washington because of his ability to be a leader and a personality and really 
be a player's manager, but also hold players to a higher standard. And I forgot entirely about that. So I guess we'll, we'll see whether that's, you know, water under the bridge or whether that comes back. But I, I forgot about that entirely myself until I saw it in Craig Calcaterra's newsletter. Yeah, we'll see. And I guess now I totally forgot about it too. So that's, geez, that's my bad. What was that, 14, 15 years ago? It was, yeah, that was 2014. So 2014, nine years. Yeah, the, the cocaine test was no nine. So that was uh, you know, four, 14 years ago. Got it. Yeah, we'll see how it goes in Anaheim. But at least on the field, I think this is a good pairing. And to your point, like, does he have enough time? I think Wash would make time for Tim Anderson. Because if you can get 2019 to 2021 version of Tim Anderson... Playing second base, batting leadoff in front of Mike Trout, that's a big boost to the Angels' offense. So I think you would make time as the manager to work with Tim Anderson to see he gets it back on track. But if this does come to fruition, I think this is a good landing spot for both Tim Anderson and the Angels to work with Ron Washington and see if he can bounce back. This is a very short-term deal. Ron Washington only has a two-year contract to manage the Angels, so they're expecting wins immediately. I think Tim Anderson's probably mm-hmm. not – he's not going to get a long-term offer. So if he gets just a one-year contract, it might be the, the perfect fit here for Tim Anderson to try to bounce back. But I think that would be a good direction. And with that said, we covered a lot of bases here in this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, and that will conclude this episode of the podcast. Later this week, we usually live stream Thursday nights, and we are planning to do so. And it is going to be my birthday episode. And to give you a little teaser, we're going to give our free agent predictions on where guys are going to sign. So if you want to see Jim and I embarrass ourselves again, hey, last year we didn't do we we did pretty good. We did pretty good. Uh, I nailed the big White Sox signing, but we're gonna make our guesses for the top ten free agents who we guess will be yeah. the big White Sox signing this offseason. Again, we'll be doing that live on November 16th, Thursday night on youtube.com slash Sox Machine. You can also watch on SoxMachine.com. So look forward to seeing everyone there. And we'll be back. The holidays are coming up as well. But we'll be back to our Monday regular scheduled posting as I'm back from vacation. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload the podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, as I just mentioned. So you can watch us at youtube.com slash Machine. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It helps us out a great deal. You can follow us on social media. We're everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, Threads. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me there at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you listen to the beginning part of the show, we already promoted Patreon. But again, if you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.